0: Jonathan Margell, come on down, because tonight, the price is right, baby, Avi, you are on your Bob Barker flow today, and I love it, welcome to Behind the Founder Podcast, episode 10, wow, my name is Jonathan Margell, I will be your host today, and you are in store For such a sick episode, we have my brother, Max Noro, hockey expert, superstar, extraordinaire, Olympic medalist on the podcast today. The crazy thing is, best friends with Max, but I have so many questions. I don't know why. I've never asked them, but guess what? I'm asking them today what a list we have in store for my boy maxi so many questions so many curiosities i literally sat down texted or called all the boys and i said yo there's anything that you want me to ask max let me know now oh i'm adding it to the list oh i'm gonna ask it and then we do and i'm so excited it's such an amazing time In my life, that I'm having right now, that I get to do this for fun, in the man cave, like a Meshiga. And it's the best. So let's get into it. I can't even wait another second. Max, man, welcome to Behind the Founder podcast. I've been following your hockey career for many, many years. I am so happy to have you as my guest. Welcome to Behind the Founder Podcast, brother.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I've been following your your professional career as well for quite some time.
0: For 10 weeks, eh?
1: Yeah, exactly. Maybe not the last 10, but definitely the last 10 years, yes.
0: (laughs) Biggest building stock fan ever, eh?
1: Yeah, I wear all your gear, at going to the gym, on the golf course, Somehow, with my uh, with my melon with no hair, your hat your hat fits perfectly. So, I'm gonna need you to start getting some new color so I can switch it up.
0: It's like a bathing cap, no?
1: Yeah, it's amazing. This the, the blue building stack hat is uh, is being well represented right now.
0: Send me a DM if you want one. That includes anyone who's listening right now.
1: <laughs> Free gear. <laughs> Free gear. Why not?
0: Max, being a groomsman at my wedding and a dear friend for so many years, you truly are behind, behind the founder. <laughs> I love, I have been saying <laughs> it every week. I love it. Canadian Olympic athlete, bronze medalist, Spengler Cup superstar, record book holder, tied for most points by any country, any defenseman, tied for most championships, Spengler Cup, Four out of six years, that's insane. We watched them all. There was a lot of beers at 8.30 a.m., who even knows? You're 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 in the books for life, buddy, as our friend Kelman would say. And he was also telling me it's it's the oldest hockey tournament in the world.
1: Yeah, I believe that is true. And, yeah, it's been a thrill to be part of that. Definitely one of the better uh, things about heading over to Europe uh, early on in my career was being able to play in all these Spangler Cups for the family. It's been amazing last couple years i would have to say i've been getting a lot harder because the two uh, kids that have endless energy running around the hotels every day it's very tough to go at night and play but uh uh, we've been getting it done we've been waiting and i think it speaks to how much pride canadians have when they put on that jersey that we even though we don't play together during the year we can show up and within two days we're we're brothers on the ice and, and we find a way to uh to get it done
0: amen man go canada that's the best Let's let's get started with some good stuff. And you know what? Instead of saying, who is Max Noro and, and getting just a, a quick answer, let's have a long, slow answer. It's going to be rapid fire format. We have a lot of buddies who I said, I'm jumping on the podcast with Max. Any questions that you have, things that you're genuinely curious about, things that you've never heard the answer, you never thought of asking, what are those things? I got a bunch of questions from Kellerman, from DJ, from Mahler, from Cousin Allen, from Wong, from a bunch of people. So it's a big mishmash. Let's do rapid fire. Let's throw out a bunch of questions. Let's get some quick answers so that we can get through lots of content, lots of hockey knowledge, and we'll take it from there. So it's so hard to to put too much of a structure, you know, when you're best friends with the guy you're talking to. But we're going to try. I'm going to keep things very professional and uh, let's get into the fun stuff, man. Let's do it. How many teeth have you lost? Uh, three, and I'm not
1: may, maybe not done yet.
0: <laughs> All pucks to the face, or what?
1: One puck to the face on the bottom one, which is a very early on in my career. I had that one fixed with a screw, uh, so it barely shows now. Except uh, I'm gonna have to get a, a new one made, uh, just because over time they change colors. They have to match them with your normal teeth. And then up top, I have a flipper I lost to at the Olympics, and we were obviously in South Korea, and I was not going to get my teeth fixed there, not knowing what was going on or what anybody was saying to me. So we waited, and uh, luckily I, we found a really good dentist uh, actually in Montreal in the Old Port. who's uh, was my, one of my dad's good friends, and he was able to, uh, to, to hook me up, and he's going to be taking care of me the, the rest of the way.
0: Has the Tooth Fairy paid you a few visits?
1: Uh no, if you mean that by by Team Canada paying for all my bills, yes, uh, they it has. That's a good tooth fairy. That's probably the best tooth fairy. Yeah, I mean they definitely don't uh like pay you, but they definitely make sure you're well taken care of, which is another huge thing with Team Canada. As you always feel appreciate it and that's why when you go out on the ice like you better give it a hundred percent because they're always going to be there to back you up
0: that's so cool man the country that's it's still crazy every time i think about it how many surgeries how many big rehabs
1: luckily i've only had one major surgery which has been my left shoulder we did uh front and back like they call anterior and posterior labrum um posterior labrum was like completely torn which is basically an injury for everyone who follows the nfl is what a lot of like the offensive and defenseman linemen get because they're always like pushing in the shoulder sockets like hitting in the back they went in they did all of the back and half of the front so that was a big deal it took me like almost seven eight months to get back to like a hundred percent uh which was a hard time for me in my life because as i was trying to play in colorado and it was the first time I was coming back and thought I had like a legit chance of playing full time in the NHL. So that took like two thirds of a season away from me. So, uh, but I'm almost hundred percent now. And you know, I mean, six, seven years later, I'm still going and feeling good.
0: Latigue Victoriaville, Houston Arrows, Minnesota Wild, traded to New Jersey Devils, left to Europe, Ambry Piotta in the Swiss A-League, two year one way with the Avalanche, Cleveland Monsters, San Antonio Rampage, back to Switzerland, Burn Bears, biggest team in Europe, Zurich now, you just re-signed two more years. How cool does it feel to be a professional hockey player, and what's the best part?
1: Yeah, I'm uh, definitely very proud of what I've accomplished, but uh, I think I still have many good years to go, and and luckily for me, which I I tell to a lot of the young players, it's uh, I was very fortunate that my wife was very open-minded and ready to travel around Europe and always wanted to discover. She's from a small uh, town, well, not maybe not anymore, but Drummondville is obviously getting bigger. But for her to just be with me and never really complain and say, "Yeah, let's do it. Have no fear. Like, let's go travel." And that, that that's been huge for me. And that's why I'm, now I'm starting my 14th year pro, and it's nice to finally be settled down now and be established in Europe. Where I get the recognition, and I can stay in one spot for for longer if I choose. And in Zurich, it's been a great fit. Great coach who should be in the NHL soon, hopefully for the Canadians, which uh, would definitely would definitely help. Because I'm, no matter where I've played, I've always been, you know, still a diehard Habs fan growing up in Montreal. So, uh, but yeah, playing in Zurich, I'm, I'm very happy that I could stay another two years.
0: So the best part is being married to Kareen For the record.
1: <laughs> yeah exactly just so you clear that up so in case she does listen do you
0: ever think to yourself like man i'm a professional hockey player this is my living this is my profession like does it ever hit you for just being the coolest job ever
1: yeah every day still which is a, a huge testament to like i think how, how my parents helped me grow up with hockey was they never really forced it on me and i always tell people this is that's why now when i get up every day like I do it by choice. I love going to the rink. I still love going to the gym even at 33 with, you know, maybe a couple more aches than I had at 18 or 19. I, I I still love it and I appreciate like every day still that I'm doing this because I just love the game and I think that's a lot because I didn't have a lot of pressure growing up. It was just like, hey, if you want to do it, do it, but you know, my dad always said, you know, if you're going to do it, do it all in so don't uh you know, don't say you want to be a hockey player. If you're going to be, you know, if you want to do that, then be a professional hockey player. Be a professional at what you do and and try to be the best you can be. That's
0: great advice from Alain.
1: Yeah, big Al.
0: Big Al. What is your biggest youth hockey memory? The one that made you realize, wow, there's a real potential that making hockey my profession was a reality?
1: Probably when I was 15 years old playing midget a sport actually with our good friend Alex Kellerman, Mattson Sonovich, the RAF leader. We play midget a and I wasn't very highly touted as a, as a first year, you know, junior prospect for the draft and then I got injured, didn't get picked and then I just trained so hard that summer. My parents have a cottage in Magog back then there wasn't as much weightlifting for young kids so I would just do sprints, I'd run the lake, I'd do like raw pull-ups on trees I did that, honestly, for two, three months. And when I came back and started my first year midget AAA, I went from being not drafted to being a first-round pick to Victoriaville and pretty much, pretty much guaranteed me that I'd make the team and play a ton of games being a first-round pick. So I think that was a, a huge 12 months for me.
0: I'm so happy to hear that. Curious, was that during the Magog shit show years when we'd get together with the Buds for a little buzz show?
1: Yeah, so those weeks I'd have to definitely train double time before knowing uh, what I was going to have to put up with for, for one night or two nights at the, at the country house. And let's just say my parents have uh, made some major upgrades at that country house. which is looking more like a house these days. So I'm not sure about us being able to do any of those famous uh, shit shows anymore.
0: We'll do it in my backyard. It's okay. Perfect. Or at Brandon's. Very true. At the (laughs) in-laws. At Brandon's (laughs) (laughs) in-laws. And they're paying the bill. (laughs) Yep. So between the workouts and chilling with the boys and traveling, the competitiveness, what do you see yourself missing the most one day, many years from now, when you decide to hang up the skates? I mean,
1: other than all those things you mentioned, I think sadly, it's like a lot of what you see out there in the news is I think guys don't have really have a purpose anymore unless you can just dive right into something, which is what I'm slowly trying to do, seeing the, how, I mean, I've already passed halfway of my career. Who knows with injuries or or bad luck or whatever, uh, what's going to happen the next couple of years is uh, I just, right now I have a purpose and it fires me up every day still to get up. I like to get up really early. I'm usually like, if I could, I'd work out at 7.30 because I just like getting it done. And I know it's the most important thing um, for my job to do, but I think not having a purpose is, is something a lot of players fear and are, and are scared about. And maybe they think about it too late when their career is done. So I'm trying to be ahead of the game and, you know, I know I know I got you to lean on for real estate and ask questions and my uncle did it in Utrecht, So I think I'm surrounded by good people in that field where if I want to, be able to branch out and use my network. I I need to start earlier than later and and not have to play catch up later. You
0: know what? If, if we break it down and go there for one second, you started investing in real estate many, many years ago. You realized, all right, going to make a few dollars, going to buy a condo, going to buy another condo, going to buy a house and another one and build a building. Like you're, you're moving and you've, you, you have that, that start much more than other other athletes. And in my opinion, I feel like people play out their career and, and then they start to invest. They also pissed away a lot of money. Like you, you saved and you invested very early. And I've, I've always admired that. I think other people listening that are athletes, you know, should do the same thing as early as possible, as much as you can afford and, and just live more normal and just have many more investments. I love that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think I used the hours that I wasn't at the rink. You know, it's not like an athlete has a 9-to-5 job unless you're like an NFL quarterback. You're watching video all day. But, I mean, for most of us, if your day's done by lunchtime, I mean, instead of going home and playing video games, I would try to read up on stuff, call people. Like I said, my uncle, uh, we always talked about it over the years. And I thought, you know what, starting earlier on is the best thing. Yes, you can put a lot in the market, but... I think one guy that really got to me was I went to a wedding and I couldn't even tell you his name right now. But it was like this very old, very wealthy, very Italian guy. And he would just tell me, hey, Max, my money, I only invested where I could touch it. I want to go touch the land. I want to go touch the building. And I always kind of remembered that saying no matter what happens, you know, the structure will be there. The land will be there. And I kind of just went with it.
0: Wow, man, touching the investments. I love that. Everyone who's listening, who's who's in the town meeting is gonna love that. <laughs> I only put my money where I can touch it.
1: <laughs> it's exactly what he told me.
0: Max, I'm curious. do you love or do you hate hotels?
1: I love hotels when I'm in the summer, <laughs> but uh, yeah, during the year, I, I definitely stayed in my fair share of marriott's and marriott chains and and whatever else because just playing the american league for so many years is what what kind of got to me is just being on the road with you know you'd go for 14 days sometimes and you'd bring like two suits and three dress shirts i mean you'd come home and like you might as well just put them in a fire and burn them at that point (laughs) a lot of pit stands just yeah i mean you're sitting on the bus on the plane and you're 22 years old, you have no money. Like, are you really going to pay for a hotel dry cleaning that's going to be like 30 bucks a shirt? No, you're just going to, you know, uh, try to iron it and, and make sure you're presentable in case, like, the NHL GMs and stuff are coming down. But other than that, you're basically surviving the two weeks so you could come home and either wash it or bring it to like a normal dry cleaners. But yeah, there's been many times where at the end of the season, I would just be like, all right, like these three shirts are now officially retired.
0: (laughs) You probably killed so many bugs in the, in the hallway when you threw them out in the garbage.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: So we'll say that you love hotels. You've already taught me one great hotel trick that I use very, very often. You always said, take out all the hangers with the clips. You put the clips on the blinds, you clip the blinds together, and then you have blackout blinds. I do that all the time. Thank you.
1: Yeah, it's a huge. It's a it's a great hack that I mean it was passed down from uh, the first vet that I that I roomed with. I was always changing, and I remember one of them would, did that, and I, I thought it was just like it's such a genius idea. No matter where you go, you can close the curtains and try to make them as blackout as possible. Put a lamp up against one of the sides. Put a chair against the other side, and. You know, cause we're, a lot of times you're traveling like a maniac and then you have to take a nap and it's the middle of the day with the light coming in and you're, let's just say you're not staying at the best hotels all the time in the American league. So you, you, you find a way to, to make, to make it as comfortable as possible.
0: I'm curious, what are your top three hotel tricks, excluding the blind, the blind clip, anything, anything sneaking into the club lounge, anything.
1: I mean, definitely sneaking my boys into the club lounge. If I have, like, now that I've stayed at the Marriott for 20 years, I have, like, the all the status for life. So whenever we go on trips or even, like, in season sometimes, I'd be able to get, like, the club lounge for the free breakfast. And let's just say when you're not making much money and being taxed and paying your agent, uh, a free breakfast once in a while uh, definitely helps on the road. So... I definitely tried to do that as much as I could with my teammates. And other than that, not that much. I mean, we, a lot of times you're flying in, you're playing, you're busing out, or you're flying out again, you're going somewhere else. So you don't really have time to even set up. Most times you won't even like take anything out of your suitcase. You just open it, put it on the table, and grab whatever you needed. So
0: you're in, you're out, that's it. No tips, no tricks. Business trip.
1: Pretty much, yeah. I mean, unless you're playing back-to-backs, you're not really... I, I use the word comfortable before. You're never really that comfortable. You're literally just hanging your suit up and putting it back on and coming for your nap, uh, going back out for a pregame meal, and then getting on the ice, and then you leave. So, I mean, half the times, the, the best part was we'd travel so much in San Antonio during the rodeo because we'd be gone for 30 days almost or 28 days that… One year, I ended up sending Kareen home, my wife, because I was just like, "I'm not going to be home for almost a month. You might as well go home and see your family." And we wouldn't even remember our room numbers because we'd be changing hotels all the time. So you'd go to like to the wrong, you know, you go to the wrong floor, and then you'd have to call down or go back to the lobby and be like, "I don't know what room I'm in in this hotel." And that would happen frequently.
0: And especially after a couple naughty
1: lights, eh? Yeah, I mean, let's just say when it was dark out, it was a lot tougher too. <laughs>
0: So let's let's keep talking about the road for a second. How do you stay busy on the road throughout an insane travel schedule?
1: I think camaraderie goes a long way. Playing cards or just hanging with the guys, uh, whether you know, even even going to the bar and not even having to drink twenty beers. Like you just go there or sit and be with them and watch if there's an NBA game or an NFL game or if you're really desperate for me an MLB game. But you 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 hanging with the guys, i mean definitely kills a lot of time and i mean, I would read a lot also i've i never read it in high school i would try to use like those online monkey notes, whatever they call them, and not read any of the books. But I think as I grew up, I realized how important it was. And I'm a huge reader. I'm eager to learn. And uh, I mean, in the House we're building in Kaniak, I'm making a huge library, and I want to reread a lot of the books I've already read. And I used to do that a lot on the road in the American League.
0: I love that. And by the way, I got through Salenhouse House on the monkey notes too. <laughs> yeah, I don't doubt that. So what are the top three best cities to visit? That you've played in over the years.
1: Oh, that's a good one. Top three best cities to visit. I would definitely put Houston as one of them. Just I played there. I didn't visit, but it was a great place uh, to 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 play, obviously. And off the top of my head, honestly, I have no idea. Okay, I, I'm going to have to give you three European ones because off the top of my head in the American League, let's just say they're not the best places to go. If, when you're going to Peoria, New York, there's not that much to do other than be at the hotel and eat your lunch and try to get out of there as quick as possible with a win. But if you go to Europe, I mean, we used to drive to Como almost once or twice a week for lunch. That's how close when I was playing in Amber Pio that we are, we were. Uh, and we would drive to Milan once in a while. It was an hour and a half away. But Zurich is a great city where I am now. Everybody that comes to visit just absolutely loves it. Just the European vibe. You, you, no one's in a rush. People f- somehow find a way to get stuff done anyways. Stress-free. You can sit outside on the Strass, which is like one of the most expensive streets in the world and you can just have a, a coffee there and watch people walk by, tourists, locals, going to bankers. It's, uh, it just has a really cool vibe, and it's by the Zurich Lake, so you have a bit of everything there, and that's why we really wanted to stay. And other than that, I loved going to Brussels. It's maybe not a hockey place. I haven't actually played hockey. though. I don't even know if they have hockey in Brussels as a team, but we went there for Beer Fest one year, uh, my wife and I, and uh, I thought it was a great city.
0: That's where Simon's born.
1: Yes, it's a beauty. Siamie.
0: I'm more excited. What are the top three cities that you've played in?
1: Number one, no doubt in my mind, Stockton, California. (laughs) Sons of Anarchy, no? Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. We flew into California. We drove to Stockton. I'll always remember this. We got to the rink. We're unpacking our bags. And the equipment manager from the Stockton heat comes over to our room and starts talking to the captains. And he's telling us, all right, guys, like, just so you know, once you're done here, you walk to your hotel, you don't leave, you eat dinner there, you have breakfast there, you come morning skate, you go back, you have lunch and you go to your hotel and that's it. You do not leave. You do not walk around Stockton. Is that clear? We were like, okay.
0: Or you're dead.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so that was not a great trip. Uh, we basically were stuck in the hotel the whole time. So, Stockton would definitely be my number one. Peoria, New York, was awful. It doesn't even exist anymore, the, uh, the, the team, I don't think. Or it might be in the East Coast now, but I don't think in the American League they even have a team.
0: The team was so shit that they blew up the city. <laughs>
1: <laughs> St. Louis was like, oh, our, all of our young guys are depressed in Peoria, so we got to get them out of there. So, they changed the AHL team, they, they moved it somewhere else. So, those two are definitely, you know, for me. Terrible places to to visit, to play in. I, I hated going there. But other than that, I mean, the American leagues doing a really good job, and the NHL teams have done a really good job of picking good spots and taking care of their players down there, making sure they're comfortable. So, uh, other than those two, there, I can't really complain.
0: Somewhere in Europe is dog. <laughs> what is it? You're never going to get traded there because the city's so bad. You won't even agree. So you can say it.
1: I mean, the, a lot of teams in the B league in Switzerland. So. I mean, they don't have the biggest budgets. They don't have the biggest TV deals. So, and we have to play them once in a while because uh, we play in the Swiss Cup. So it's kind of like to get all of Switzerland involved in in pro hockey. So like the top teams have to play against like the second or third league teams, and some of those guys have full time jobs. It'd be like our boy Alex Kellerman working nine to five, and then coming to play against the Zurich Lions at night. Like that's kind of like some of the teams that we played against. So we would dress like two thirds of our team and win like nine to one in the game. It was not great, the setups were pretty bad. Like you almost didn't even want to like stretch your foam roll on the floor because you were just like so grossed out. So you'd end up having 10 coffees as your warm up and just going out on the ice. Ugh,
0: the schmutz of, of Switzerland, eh? Yes. Yeah, which
1: is which is honestly still like not really that slummy because it's Switzerland, but <laughs> But it's still better than everywhere. <laughs> yeah, but it's still but like as a hockey player, you definitely don't feel comfortable before the game getting ready.
0: I have to ask, it's the obvious question, the elephant in the room. Have you ever thought about or have you ever really wanted to be a professional hockey player in your hometown of Montreal?
1: I mean, definitely yes. I think it's every or most kids' dreams that do grow up here that love the game. You pretend to be them, in, in, in you know, on the roads when you're when you're a kid playing with your brothers or your buddies, uh, you you I mean you admire them your whole life. Even now, I try to watch the game sometimes in Europe when it's one in the morning. It's you know seven here or whatever. I'll try to I'll try to catch uh, like the first period or or whatnot, but. Uh, it would be a lot of pressure. I think the Quebec media can definitely do a better job of trying to make players want to come play here, because you know, speaking with a lot of players that have played in the NHL and or are from Montreal or at least from from the province, it takes a toll on you. you know, like especially as if you're French or you're from the area you have that much more pressure to produce and it's not always easy. There's so many factors, uh, health, uh, who are they playing you with? It's definitely a, gr- a mental grind, I would say, playing in Montreal. But if, if you're from here and obviously the salary, people will say it comes with the territory, but I don't believe that. I don't think that mental abuse like that, guys taking that heat is is going to help them on the ice. I mean, if if they think the media here that guys don't, like it doesn't get to them and you know it doesn't affect them i mean it 100 percent does i mean unless you're 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 special i'm assuming a guy like carrie price can pretty much put his head on the pillow and not worry about it but for most guys it affects them and it's definitely not uh, a productive way to, to have a better team here.
0: gary doesn't care by the way there's no way
1: no for sure not
0: question from my buddy dj what is it like to get so much gear jerseys, sticks, gloves. Do you ever feel that you have too much stuff or is it never enough?
1: It's definitely overwhelming, especially playing for all these Team Canada events, even leading up to the Olympics. I played in I think every single tournament, trial tournament in Russia, in Sochi, and uh we went to Moscow every time. It's like, "Hey, here's a gift bag on your bed." And I mean, it's it's great, and I what I started doing the last couple of years is trying to get different sizes for my family, my buddies. Try to give them out to people because I mean I'm not a guy either that wants to wear head to toe Team Canada everywhere. Look at me. So when I go to the gym, like I'll never wear shorts and a t-shirt. Like if I have to I happen to have a, the clean shirt as a Canada one, I make sure I'm wearing like Under Armour black and nothing, you know, shorts because I don't want to be that guy. And I just use it because it's free ninety nine. <laughs>
0: So by the way, I don't fit in the large dry fit that you gave me. I'm a little too fat. So I'm going to give it back or I'll give it to G or Matt or whoever wants a large. But can you get me an XL next time that you're in the Spengler?
1: 100%. I'll, I'll make sure I get you an XL or I'll, I'll just get you a normal large, but I just won't get it fitted for you.
0: There you go. It's a lot of Uber Eats Chinese food, a lot of lo mein noodles in the stomach. So we've uh, we've gone up a size.
1: Yeah, it's been tough on everyone. The the lbs have been packing on.
0: But you know what? It's good for you. It'll keep me warmer in the winter. That, that's true. Max, you've rocked the C and the A on your jersey many many times over the years. What does it feel like to be the captain of a hockey team? Does the C affect your gameplay? and the way that you carry yourself on and off the ice?
1: It's a huge honor to wear it, obviously, but I've also been on teams where I felt like I was a pretty big presence in the room just by the way I played, and I worked every day, showed up early, and didn't have a letter on my jersey. So it never really affected me if I had it or not. Uh, It's definitely something nice, and it's cool. Like I have jerseys that are going to be hanging on my wall that are going to have the C on it or the A, but at the end of the day... I haven't really changed anything, and I'm not the most vocal guy all the time, rah rah in the room, yelling, let's go. I try to just go out and lead by example, and especially off the ice, make sure I'm showing everyone this is the work you need to put in to, to have longevity, to be good, to be consistent. And I mean, letter or not, that's never going to change.
0: Amazing. You're always my captain, Max.
1: Captain Insano.
0: <laughs> okay, so... It's taken 30 minutes and I'm blown away that it hasn't come up in more detail. You're an Olympic athlete. You're an Olympic medalist. I bet and watched, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I don't care, on you in the Olympics. It was surreal, unbelievable, like our best friend, our brother is winning games, ripping it from the blue line against Finland. In the Olympics, on TV, while drinking at 8.30 in the morning, like, doesn't make sense. It's a crazy, crazy, crazy memory and series of memories, waking up, watching these games alone with the boys, with my family, uh, texting everyone, the calls, the FaceTimes, like, crazy for me. What about for you? you? You represented Canada. I can't even put myself in your shoes and and guess how that feels it's our nation you represented them you brought home a medal you put a medal on on your family members and your loved ones and you brought it to my place and it was in the man cave and and touching it uh, like that whole experience insane that's that's the craziest thing that anyone I love has has done olympics that's crazy talk to me about the olympics man break it down take as long as you want talk about everything all angles everything everyone needs to hear this Uh, we have an olympic athlete medalist on the podcast That's insane
1: yeah it was definitely uh it's it's, uh, even to this day it's kind of surreal like I, i have the jersey signed by everyone and i can i can go grab the medal look at it hold it it's uh it's definitely something unbelievable, something that I'll I'll treasure forever, but I mean, speaking on the hockey side, if you want me to give you a breakdown, like one of the most grueling processes I've ever gone through was playing my normal season in Bern, trying to make sure, you know, we're up to standard because there we play in front of 19,000. It's the biggest team in Europe and a lot of pressure playing in in that city. Uh, You kind of feel like you're in the NHL. So, going from there and then every time we'd have a break, guys would be going to you know Mallorca or going to Paris and I'd be flying to Sochi playing like four more games trying to make the Olympic team and I did that like five or six times during the year never got a break and so by the t- and I played in the Spangler Cup so by the time February came I had played like 80 games already which in Europe is crazy it's like two two seasons in one but getting that call was all worth it saying I made the team and you know small anecdote was th- you know, I got called, like, all the staffs there in Calgary, because that's where Hockey Canada is based out of, and, you know, you get, you, you know, you tear up, you you try to be tough, and, but you tear up, and I, I had trouble getting my words out, and I, and I apologized, and they said, don't worry, 90% of the guys couldn't, couldn't uh, get it out, like, they, they were crying, or they were, you know, they, they were teary-eyed, they, they were like, hey, give me a sec, so, Seeing that it just so almost pride there is, in you know, playing for Hockey Canada and, and representing this country, so that was that was pretty crazy. And and then yeah, we went to uh, we went to Pyongyang, and uh, you know, we got a medal. It is what it is. It wasn't the medal we wanted, but at the end of the day, I have a, an Olympic medal, and it took a lot of guts from Team Canada for the guys that had like a whole country, you know, cheering for them and basically saying you 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 win gold like we do all the time um what do what's expected in canada and to lose in the 70 finals and, and realize the next day you have to turn around and play for the bronze medal and you have to regroup and forget your failures and, and find a way to have confidence and go out and, and, and dominate and i mean it speaks to speaks to the guys in that room i think because we went out and we did it and, and i mean the last game we we really played one of our better games and, and got the medal so it was a really cool experience
0: And you had a couple very dear friends and loved ones visit you and and go to the games, which is very special.
1: Yeah, on the personal side, it was unbelievable. Having a support system like that, it kind of took me away from how big of a moment it was because sometimes when you're alone and you're isolated and the pressure just gets to you because you feel like everyone is so far away and in a a different world. But having everyone there and seeing them and, you know, one day we had a day off and I asked the coaching staff if they minded if I took the train from Pyeongjang to Seoul, where everyone was staying, because it was one of the bigger cities, obviously, and I've always wanted to see and visit. So they let, they gave me the green light. They just said, make sure you show up and it doesn't affect you. So I made sure I came back early enough. And lo and behold, the next day we played Finland and I, I scored that big goal that got us to win. So, you know, I think seeing everybody kind of relaxed me. It, it motivated me and, and it kind of kept me grounded and saying, hey, it's a huge deal. But, you know, at the end of the day, I can go out and have my worst game in the history, and in 20 years, I highly doubt people are still going to be talking about me. So don't worry about it. Just go out and play.
0: Talking about that goal, super quick. I think you scored the only goal in the one nothing win. Did you <laughs> your pants after the game when you realized that was the game winner? You literally won the game.
1: It was. It was. Yeah. It was. It was. You know what though? In that on that faceoff play, we had run it so many times over my career on the right side where i could step into a one-timer that i felt like it was such like a natural shot for me low blocker and you do it enough times in your life it just becomes an automatic and for it to actually go in though in the olympics i mean that's you you couldn't have drawn it up any better and you know my dad my whole life would yell at me to shoot low shoot low and you know that's where i went so i mean it was a huge moment having everyone there um, i could only imagine our boy alex in the stand yelling when they went in and uh after the game you know walking down the tunnel realizing i have to do all these interviews because it was the only goal and there's rds and everything it was it, it definitely hits you but you try to go home after the game and you know park it like they say that memory and, and try to move on because uh, there was still a lot of hockey left
0: that's amazing. It's so cool. Uh, I'm so happy to, to talk about this, have this ingrained in the podcast. It's it's such a cool goal, such a great story, literally won well in the game for the country. Bananas. Next question. How have you dealt with fame over the years? More often than not, you're very consistently the best, if not one of the best players on each and every team that you've ever played on. Uh, wasn't your face on the bus when you're when you're playing junior hockey in Victoriaville fame I mean that's
1: that's a thing how how do you handle it I can only imagine if you scaled it up a hundred times what some of the people we know play in the NHL uh, how, how they would feel but I can kind of transition to how it is in Europe because obviously here I play in the American League it's a big market still you know playing in Houston it was you know, you would get recognized once in a while, but never to the level of like these NHL guys that are recognized everywhere. And, you know, anything they do is, is, is right in the spotlight, um, even in their personal lives, but definitely playing in Ambry Piota, smaller p- team in, in Switzerland, had some really, really good years. I was a young buck running around playing a little bit, pretty wild hockey, but fans loved it. it they're kind of like soccer fans. They loved my emotion and they didn't mind the fact that I could make mistakes, but you know, if I produced by the end of the game, it didn't matter. So playing there and ha- being able to walk around, um, having people recognize you and, and stuff, that was really cool. But the Italians, they're, they're Swiss Italians. They kind of have the same mentality. Just the nicest people. We'd go out for dinner. People would be... They're sending us wine or they pay for our meals or, you know, the the host would tell us, pick any bottle, like it's on us, things like that. You almost feel guilty. You're trying to pay. They won't take it. So that was really cool. And you could tell that it meant a lot to them, what you did on the ice for their like small team that doesn't have a big money like some of the other big teams in Europe. And we were winning and playing really well. So um, that was a very, very cool experience. I love that.
0: Max. I'll never forget the story you told me, your private cameo with the Stanley Cup. I'm sure many of the listeners would love and get a big kick out of hearing the story of you with the cup. How did it go down exactly? By the way, Kellerman didn't even know about the story.
1: The fact that Alex didn't know about this is very surprising to me because everyone in my family knows and most of our friends do. And he's almost like a brother at this point. He knows he hangs out with my brothers when I'm not there. But yeah, so the story is that when we were younger, my dad was working for, uh, for Loomis and Brinks, like all these uh, trucks that pick up money and, and you know, uh, in different vaults and, and whatnot. And uh, they always had great security. So the Canadians, or Patrick Waugh, was hosting the party at his house and asked, like, this security firm if they could send some guys and, you know, Big Al being, being a big guy and he was one of the bosses there decided, Hey, I'm just going to be one of the guys. And he was obviously trained for it as well. But so they went there, they were security. So he has tons of pictures with all the Habs that day drinking by the pool. They have to make sure basically that they didn't like blow up the Stanley Cup, (laughs) make sure he came back in one piece. And uh, he said it was definitely a tough job because after The sun went down. It did get pretty wild. So he's like, I had to tell people off that I admired and and was like looking up to, uh, watching them on TV. And I'm like telling them to stop, don't do this. uh, You're not allowed. And so he said that was really tough. But so, anyways, you must have you can imagine how the night ended. Winning the Stanley Cup, basically, uh, the Stanley Cup was just left on its own, and they had to take care of it and make sure it got home safe. So my dad just decided with the other guys on the way home, why not stop? And he put it in my bed. We, had, we were living in a triplex, like in LaSalle or West Montreal. And I have tons of pictures of, of me with the Stanley Cup and obviously asleep, but just hilarious pictures and that they were able, even able to like get that into the house.
0: By the way, I'm starting to feel bad. It may not have been Alex. I think it was Wong. Someone didn't know about the story who we love. So you're doing a favor there but definitely everyone else did not know that that's just the best story let's talk about another cup the Spengler cup do you have any good stories with that bad boy that you took home
1: yeah i mean every year it's uh, there's there's different stories some that can't be told on on uh, on this podcast we'll have to do it one night at your house
0: Hey, this is a PG-16
1: podcast. Yeah, well, uh, maybe maybe when I retire, I can tell the stories. But uh, for now, we'll... Yeah, well, not tonight. Yeah, we'll keep them in the vault. But no, every year, w- what's great about the Spangler Cup is that every year you have a different set of guys. I mean, obviously, there's some guys like me that have been playing in Switzerland a long time and, and you know, return year after year and make the team. But there's always n- new faces. Like last year, we had, you know, we had Chris Versteeg. Uh, we had so many guys like that over the years that like, come in and play. So you know, we had the year of the lockout. I was on that team, so playing with like Patrice Bergeron, Matt Um, I mean, there's it's just every year you there's just you you learn so much, and there's just so many great stories and people that you meet. And I mean, yeah, the I mean, one thing with with the Spangler Cup is my first couple years there, it was kind of a gong show in the way that guys would show up there and basically use it as a free vacation. And, you know, they, we, Team Canada wasn't doing very well for a few years because, you know, guys would enjoy a little too much, as you could say, uh, whether it was on the mountains or uh, uh, past curfew. <laughs> so they, we had to change that. And Sean Burke from Hockey Canada did a great job as the manager now. He came in, I remember my third year, and said, we'll take good care of you, we'll take good care of your families, you know, we'll have times for drinks, we'll have times for parties, we'll have times to have tons of late night fun. But you make sure when you put your skates on, you're you're representing and, and you do it well. If not, you're not ever coming back here. And it kinda of set the tone and we won that year and I think every year after that it was the message it was clear that there are gonna be times to have fun. And now what I say, you know, last couple of years being the captain is you know, you'll have fun. Yeah. And you'll regret it. Or you can be serious and have the most fun you'll ever have, which is having the cup on new year's with all your family and friends and hockey Canada taking care of you. And it's like one of the best parties every year. If you can get it done.
0: It is a new year's party. Holy cow, man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: Fireworks. You have the cup you're with, you know, you're meeting. Like last year I got to sit down with one of my all time idols, Paul coffee. And you know, you put the kids to bed, you, you, Then a bit later, you put the wife to bed, and then you go back down, and you literally and then you
0: have a coffee. Yeah,
1: exactly. And then you have a couple uh, more glasses of water, and you uh, you stay up till three a.m. talking to guys like Shane Doan and Paul Coffey, and you know guys that you've watched forever play. And uh, so that that was really really special. Amazing, man! What a what a story. The New
0: Year's Cup celebration championship party that's that's the only one in the world that's insane
1: yeah i always tell guys like you want you want to party on the 23rd at night and then like basically go home on the 30th because you lost in the the semifinals, and your team's calling you to say hey you can't stay because you're done or do you want to you know be a pro and take care of your body and and basically win the thing and on the 31st uh, add up all the drinks that you didn't drink the first six days and have them all on that day
0: that's a really good way of doing math by the way (laughs) <laughs> other than hockey, are there any other professional sports that you wished you played instead? A little tennis, a little golf, anything, curler?
1: I was definitely a huge basketball fan, played in high school. You know, thought I had some game, but, you know, being 5'11", or back then probably 5'9", wasn't really me going to get me very far. And obviously hockey was going really well, so I was not, you know, probably good enough to be one of these, like, multi-sport athletes so i decided just to pick a path and 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 run with it but now i still enjoy watching nba nfl but uh definitely it's it's still one of my my passions if i could get a net up when my kids are older i'd love to pick it up again
0: by the way bald white boy from mo west you'd be like a mike bibby
1: yeah yeah exactly i'd just be actually i'd say i'd be more like uh what's his name jason williams with all the all the fakes i feel like i have pretty good uh (laughs)
0: Uh-uh uh uh-uh. uh
1: pretty good vision on the ice. Maybe I could just do that, like not be a shooter and just try to fake everyone out just for that one nice play in the game.
0: So I've been I've been on a little bit of a buzz. Big sports card binge the last few months, spending a lot of money investing in sports cards, selling them, the whole thing. I actually own a bunch of Max Noro cards. You know that, you've seen the picks. Mm-hmm. Um I'd love to hear what the whole process was like when you're a rookie. There's a bunch of cards out there from different periods in your career. What what happens from being an athlete to having a card printed? What's involved?
1: Number one is notoriety. Like people, you know, they, these companies will approach you if they think it will sell or think, they think down the road you'll be someone. So that was like definitely a huge moment for me in my career when, you know going like not drafted at 15 in junior then playing junior then not getting drafted twice at the nhl draft then signing just a AHL contract and then finally getting an nhl contract entry level with minnesota and then a year or two later i had three companies i i I couldn't tell you all the names like pacini i don't even know if it was upper deck but anyways there was three and
0: pacini or panini
1: I don't even know which one is it Puccini what is it the the chain isn't it or is it we can get pasta and bread by
0: the way Puccini sounds way cooler
1: Puccini sounds better I mean you can get like nice pasta and bread there I guess but yeah it probably was panini <laughs> but uh, that's how much that that's how much I remember from, from those days but it was just all over to me it was just such a good time but yeah, they, they basically reach out to you or your agent, and your agent you know, hopefully does a good job for you and negotiates. I'm sure a guy like Connor McDavid doesn't have to negotiate. They just pay him whatever he wants. But for guys like me, they, they negotiate like per card, and then they tell you how many they're willing to spend on you, and they send you these massive boxes of cards. Thousand at a time, maybe five hundred at a time, and then you basically sign them all, send them back uh, registered mail and and then they send you a check. so I used to you know post up in front of a movie and just sign all these cards and you know i I actually enjoyed it like it made it seem like I had made it, and I, I was on my way there, so it was a really cool experience. did you or anyone
0: in your family ever scoop up a bunch of cards and just uh try and flood the market within the house?
1: <laughs> no, but I definitely told them that if we did this deal i wanted to keep a bunch of them so i actually have some like limited edition ones and or just some extra ones that like when i was still playing in minnesota or like in the american league or whatever people would would kind of know my name a little bit more i'd give them out to people or like to kids in my family or whatnot neighbors so i still have a bunch of those i always wanted to keep them in like those plastified uh protectors with the hard case on them so i have a bunch of those still that you know just from for for my memory uh, i always wanted to keep them but definitely a cool thing to see them pop up once in a while and have your boys be able to buy them on ebay or, or whatever so it's uh yeah it's cool
0: Alan just bought it last night.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. I mean I, I appreciate the I appreciate the support. Like our crew is just forever a support system that you know, guys that will cheer for each other and, and not like root against each other for any reason. So it's uh it's great.
0: We're Noro puck bunnies. <laughs> a lot of puck bunnies. A lot. By the way, sell me some of those cards, man. What are you what are you waiting for?
1: Come on. Yeah, I'm waiting for them to be uh, kind of rare online, and then you tell me, man, there's nothing, and then I can I can throw them out again, <laughs> and then you can help me. I'll give I'll give you ten percent.
0: By the way, did you know that the sickest card is supposed to be the one that's your number at the time? So whatever's on your jersey, that's like the best one if it's a numbered card.
1: Wow, it's not like the card like what what card just sold the McDavid one for a hundred and something thousand? Was it
0: his jersey number? I think it was 97, yeah. So that's that's exactly why. That's the the best one in the set. So you got to keep that Max Noro number. I don't know if it was 26 wow. at the time,
1: but should have thought of that, buddy. Wow, should have, man. Oh, well, it wasn't a connoisseur enough.
0: So we're going to take a musical break in a couple minutes. Right now, I have one question before Captain Kaplan jumps in here with a little break. And then we're going to get into the hockey questions. We're going to get into the life questions. Honestly, you're one third through the interview. So sit back, relax, Max, man. I don't know if you finish bottle number one of vino, but you better get the corkscrew during the Avi-Captain Kaplan break. But before that, one question. couple of your lineys are a couple of the buds that we get to see once in a while. The mares. Jason, Daddy Demers, Marco, Skakandi, Scandella, playing together with these beauties. Give me a couple of the best memories.
1: Yeah, Demers was way back in the day uh, playing in Victoriaville. We were, I was 19, he was 18 or maybe 17 even at the time. He might be two years younger and we were not a great hockey team at that point in juniors. So they ended up pairing us together and we had, I mean, an amazing season as friends from Montreal and then being able to have our billets close to each other and being on the ice together, like 25, 30 minutes a game was, was a thrill. And, uh, I mean, it's like a brother, right? I was able to fight with him and be honest with him. And the next day we just hug it out and move on. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it was a great time. And I think that year I had like 20 something goals and he'll tell you it's all because of his passing, but, um it was it was definitely a fun year and then you know years later i did play with him in the spangler cup so that was cool as well when during the lockout he came over to play in europe and our boy skikandi what a thrill it was to play for him he was a young buck and everyone knew he was going to be something special in the nhl when he came into minnesota and played for us in houston after his junior so um funny story with him was by the time his first or second year was done he was already playing with me on the first line um, on our on our first D pair and my wife went home because we had bought a condo in Montreal. So I, I decided, hey, I'll just get rid of my apartment and save money and I'll move in because he had a two bedroom and his his uh, roommate got hurt so he went home. So during the playoffs and we went all the way to the finals, we were rooming together, uh, just living it up and, you know, playing really well and talking about the game after, playing Call of Duty and having drinks and, you know, trying to figure out how we can get better and Uh, It was a really, really fun time. It was two months that were uh, really cool. Wow, that's amazing.
0: I love those two guys. I love those two stories. Max, man, let's take a two-second breather. But first, hold on. Crack. Having a little Sapporo. We're done with the sake bottle. We're done with the little glasses of Porto. We're moving on to Das Bier.
1: Mm, Tokyo, eh?
0: Tokyo. Captain Kaplan, I've been listening to that beat with the little birdies in it in the intro all week. I think it's time. Release the birds, baby. Well, this was the episode that was so good. We had to chop that shit down and break it into two episodes. So make sure that you tune in next week to Behind the Founder Podcast, episode 11 where you will hear the second part of the exclusive two-part Max Noro, Jonathan Margell interview. I can't wait. Actually, I can. I've already heard it and recorded it. But you can't wait because it's sick. It's even better. We get into all the hockey stuff. We get into all the life stuff. Keep the interview rolling. It was so hard to hit stop during the interview. We had to let that keep going. But you know what? Let's spread out the hype. Let's spread out the good vibes. There's so much content, so much hockey knowledge, so much good stuff. We needed two episodes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the support. I love doing this so much. I feel rejuvenated lately, so much good feedback, so much good vibes. People are listening, they're laughing, they're having fun with it. I'm going to continue. As soon as I hit stop on the episode, I realized, you know what, there's not that many things that I love as much as sports. We need to continue riding this wave. I'm going to dedicate the next couple weeks to getting a few more athletes on, ideally from different sports backgrounds. And let's just chop it up, Jonathan Margell style, that funky boy with the chickens in the backyard with the hat to match. You know what I mean, buddy? Episode 10 is a wrap. Episode 11 is around the corner, and it's going to be a little bit more of what you just listened to. God bless you. Take care of yourselves. To be continued. Lila Tovaki Boom Boom Yella